Welcome to Multilingual Montessori, a podcast where we discuss multilingualism, multiculturalism, and raising children from a Montessori perspective. I'm Gabrielle Kutkov, an AMI Montessori guide and TESOL instructor with a master's in child studies, and I'm the founder of the Multilingual Montessori website and Instagram account. On this podcast, I interview parents who are raising multilingual children, Montessori guides who have taught in bilingual classrooms or who are themselves multilingual, and adults who grew up speaking two or more languages. We discuss the intersection between language and identity, how to find balance when speaking two or more languages in a monolingual environment, and all the joys and challenges that we experience along the way. Today I'm speaking with Jesse Gewertz, the Director of Adolescent Programs at Austin Montessori School in Austin, Texas. Jesse has been teaching in Montessori schools for 25 years, 21 of them at Austin Montessori School. He holds an AMI elementary diploma, as well as a certificate from the NAMTA AMI Orientation to Adolescent Studies. Jesse attended Montessori School as a child in Houston, Texas in the early 1970s. He's the parent of two Montessori children. Both of his daughters attended Austin Montessori School from their early childhood years all the way through the adolescent program. In this conversation, we discuss Jesse's path to Montessori and what he loves most about working with adolescents. We also discuss what it was like having his two daughters in his class and how parenting adolescents is different from teaching adolescents. Jesse shares his insights about what children need most during their adolescent years and how parents can support adolescents in a Montessori way, even if they don't go to a Montessori school. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jesse. Hi, Jesse. Welcome to the Multilingual Montessori Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. I'm so glad you invited me to do this. I'm, I'm really curious to see how it goes. Yeah, I'm so glad you said yes. And I think I told you this already, but you are the first male guest on the podcast. Okay, to start, I would love for you to introduce yourself. So tell us who you are, where you live and what you do. Okay, Um, I'm Jesse Gewertz. Um, I live in Austin, Texas. I am currently the uh, director of adolescent programs at the Austin Montessori School. So I work in our adolescent community, which is a 12 to 15 uh, community. Okay, so we're going to get all into Montessori with adolescents. But first, I want to hear about, let's start with your Montessori journey. I know you went to Montessori school as a child. So what memories do you have of that? And um, and how, if at all, do you think that it, it impacted you as an adult? Okay, um, so uh First of all, um, so I was born in New York. My family was born in New York and we moved to Texas in the early 1970s, like 1971, I guess. And I was like one and a half. And um, my grandmother, my father's mother had been in education. She was a, a, a teacher and an administrator in the New York City public schools. And when she learned that we were moving to Texas, she was horrified because she thought that the educational systems and, you know, the opportunities for education in in Texas were, were poor to say the least. Um, And so she offered to pay, I think, for my sister and I to go to school. Um, And so that my, and my parents are kind of hippie-ish and they were looking for, you know, alternative schools 
uh, to send their kids to. And so I guess that's how my mom uh, wandered upon uh, Montessori. And I, the school I went to was called the, I think it was called the Little Red Schoolhouse. Uh, it eventually became, I think it's the school that became Post Oak Montessori, which is an AMI Montessori school that's still around in the in Houston. Um, but I went and I believe my sister went all the way through elementary and she's five years older than I am, four and a half years. And I think I went through, um, you know, just the, I would think I was in children's house um, <clears throat> and not all the way through because I started, I left there. We went to, after we left that school, we went to a free school for six, for a semester. And then we went to a, a like traditional private school and I entered in the first grade. So I guess I was in children's house. Um, that's what I recall. And I have some, I, so first of all, I remember no adults. (laughs) (laughs) I have no memory of the adults in that environment, but I do remember the environment. I can picture the classroom in my mind. I uh, can picture where the, you know, the beads were hanging and I, uh, and where some of the practical life I, I I remember I enjoyed spooning quite a bit, (laughs) spooning exercises. I remember that I enjoyed the land and water forms quite a bit. Um, there are pictures of me that I've seen working with the knobbed cylinders. Um, and I do remember being on the ellipse. Mm. Um, I think at our school, we did the hokey pokey, (laughs) uh, which maybe is not a, maybe that's taboo. Um, and then I also remember the outdoor environment. So there wasn't, you know, that I went back to that school, uh, when I was in high school and it was abandoned that building and it was a tiny little house with a tiny little backyard. But in my mind, it was huge. That's what I remember. And it had like this mountain that we could climb and which was a tiny little hill. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it had, a, um, like a, a barrel, I guess it was like an oil drum or something like in the center of it. So you could crawl through the mountain. Uh, and it was just like, you know, maybe two feet, three feet high or something. Anyway. So I, those are the types of things that I remember. Oh, I, I, you know, I remember learning how to tie, I remember the the frames for that. Yeah. Um, that's so interesting that you don't have any memories of the adults. And that's in a way the goal of children's house, not for the children to have no, you know, connection to the adults, but for there to be a real connection between the child and the environment without the adult mediator. So that's fascinating yeah. that that re- was really achieved for you. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that I, that's how it is, but that is how it is. I do remember, I mean, I think I had a traumatic experience because I can still remember it in which apparently there was another child that went to school there whose also, name was also Jesse. Jesse Garza was his name. And at one day they came, uh, they, I don't, again, I don't remember the adults, but I was told like, your mom's here to pick you up at an odd time. And I was like, and I got my bag and I was walking down the hall to leave. And there was a strange car with a stranger in it. And they wanted me to get in the car with that person. And I like lost it. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong, Jesse. (laughs) Oh man. Um, So then did you have any connection to Montessori throughout like middle school, high school, or early adulthood? Um, no, except that my parents adult. talked about it a little bit. And I guess some, uh, so I had a friend growing up who also went to that school. He was a couple of years older than I was. Um, and so, you know, I knew him from that school when we were little and he stayed at that school for a while longer. And I'd heard him tell stories about it. And, uh, and my parents, you know, knew the, I guess the guides or the 
people who ran the school and they talked about that. So I'd like heard stories about some of the people. Yeah. Uh, but that was it. No, I didn't really ever think about it again, uh, you know, except for here and there. And, uh, and I, you ask, you know, like, what do you think it, how do you think it affected you? And I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> like, how did it? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you had an absorbent mind, so I'm sure it did somehow. Mm-hmm. It must've. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we'll, we'll pick that back up, but before we move on to your adulthood, tell me a bit about your language experiences growing up. Okay. And, that's, yeah, that's, a, yeah, that's kind of a cool question too, because I, so after we left that school, we went to this free school for six months and then my parents found a school that was like a traditional private school, but it was very small. And it was, um, it was called the Audi school. And now it's called, now it's much larger and it's called the Audi international school. But, uh, so I started there in first grade and I went to that school through ninth grade. And, um, in my third grade year, um, they, um, made a relationship between, uh, the, so, uh, uh, with the Alliance Francaise in Houston, they, uh, I guess there were a lot of French, uh, nationals coming and working a few years in Houston in the oil business for companies like Schlumberger. And they were looking to have a school where their children could go and stay in the French system, which would eventually prepare them, you know, for the Bach, which, you know, international baccalaureate before we had it here. And uh, so our school partnered with that school probably to help them stay afloat. And uh, so there was like a a whole, it was like two schools in one. So there was the French school and the American school. And, but we mixed some. um, And what that meant was we had a really great soccer team when nobody else did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it also meant that I studied French from third grade through ninth grade and was around French speaking people you know, a lot. Um, so, you know, uh, I guess some kids would have been taking Spanish, but it was, you know, it was slightly more immersive than just, you know, French lessons because there were, you know, your classmates would be French and you would just hear it all the time. So that meant that by the time I got through ninth grade, I had completed like two years of high school French. And I, I mean, I, I have a decent year. So I, you know, I, I kind of, understood French. I don't know. We, you know, when it came down to studying, I wasn't a, I was never a great student. And so the study of French was not really my forte. I did take French three, my sophomore year in high school, uh, but didn't do very well. And after that, it was like in Texas, you only needed two years of a foreign language at that point. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm done. But I think it really helped me hear, especially romance languages, um, and I, I learned an approach, you know, it's, it's easy for me to look at a romance language and, and understand how it works and think about grammar in a different way. And then when I was in high school, my senior year, my school offered Russian. And so I took it as an elective my senior year in high school. And I thought, wow, this is really fun because it had case endings and things like that. So it's a different way of looking at grammar where you tag endings onto everything to, you know, help, you know, the functions of the words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I enjoyed that, you know, intellectually. And it was also like, cool. Cause like, I know Russian <laughs> and, and I have a whole new alphabet and stuff. And so then when I went to UT, I was in the Russian department. I actually majored in Russian. I was in UT for a really long time. And uh, <laughs> my, my first phase, I was a Russian major. So for three years I was, you know, I took through a third year of college Russian. 
Wow. With literature and, uh, you know, grammar studies and things like that. I never achieved, I've never achieved fluency in any language besides English. Um, but I do know how to think about languages and it enabled me that study enabled me to come to Austin Montessori school as the Latin teacher, among other things, though I had never studied Latin, I knew enough to be able to look at a book and figure out what was going on grammatically and help kids work through it and um, think about English grammar, uh, you know, the Latin roots of English grammar. Wow. That's fascinating. Do they, do you still teach Latin in the adolescent? No, (laughs) I only did it. We did it for a couple of years and then we started doing Spanish. It was really because Don Gertz who founded that program, you know, was a classics, a classicist. Mm. Um, I think Latin's great to look at and think about. Um, And then there are people who, you know, I mean, obviously high school, you know, some kids go off to high school and really get into Latin, but we don't do that. Okay, well, that kind of leads into my next topic. Tell me about your journey to becoming an educator. All right. Uh, so, like I said, I went to UT for a really long time. And eventually, when I graduated, uh, <clears throat> you know, I was already uh, in my late 20s. And uh, I had a degree, I got a Bachelor of Science in Zoology. So, uh, you know, very different from Russian. Um, and I was interested in science and field science. And uh, we moved back to Houston. So we were living in Austin all this time. And I got, uh, I was engaged and, and then ended up getting married right then. We moved to Houston because my wife's job took us there. So in Houston, uh, I did a series. I was temping and doing looking for work in my field. Um, and I, to make extra money, I was working in a coffee shop that was in the neighborhood I grew up in, right next door to my dad's house. And uh, it was across the street from a church, um, St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Houston, that has an associated AMI Montessori school with it that had uh, an adolescent program and also was starting a high school at that time. Um, And uh, I wasn't aware of that, but uh, a, a teacher that had been a teacher of mine in high school had gone to that school and started their middle school and was starting their high school. And so she would come, you know, people would come, it was just across the street and the coffee shop that I was running. And so she came in and she recognized me and I recognized her and we chatted. And, uh, you know, I thought since they were starting a high school, maybe they would need a science, someone to help out with science. I didn't, you know, I didn't think I could be a teacher. Um, So I dropped off a resume um, and, you know, a few several months later, they called me and offered me a job as a children's house assistant. Oh wow! Um, and I turned that down because I was terrified of small children. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah, just didn't think you know. I was like, oh. And then a few weeks later, they had an opening in their adolescent program. I guess somebody that had hired on, and this was right before school started, had hired on had dropped out, and so they just had the one teacher, and they needed someone, and so they you know they grabbed me. And I got, I was, it was, uh, you know, it was fortuitous. It was, you know, an odd circumstance, but um, so I went to work there with her, her husband was actually working in that program. And this was uh, based on the AMS model of um, adolescent programs, which uh, was um, I think Betsy Coe is the, she created that model and she still offers that training, that training exists. Um, And so it's a little different than the AMI uh, model. But she, uh, 
part of the program, you know, the adolescent programs usually have some sort of economic uh, endeavor and theirs was called salad bar, which was cooking. Uh, so they cooked lunch for the rest of the school twice a week and sold like meal tickets. And they earned quite a bit of money that way. And I had years and years and years of restaurant experience. So I was the math and science teacher and I also cooked with the kids. And uh, it didn't take me but a few months of being with the adolescents to recognize that there was pre something pretty special about them. You know, uh, I was amazed at uh, how much they took to the work, the actual, you know, like the kitchen work was like their favorite and they were good at it. Most of them were really good at it. Once you showed them how, and then you worked side by side with them, you didn't, you know, and it was, it was really cool. And in some cases they were, you know, more capable than people I had worked with in <laughs> restaurants and, uh, and it just felt special and I was hooked. So then, then where did you go from there? Did you stay working with adolescents? I, uh, so I worked there for two years uh, and my wife was transferred to San Antonio. So I left that program um, and I was just learning about, you know, adolescents and erd kinder model and things like that. I had visited Ohio where they were just breaking ground on the farm school at Hershey um, and I needed a job. So I looked in uh, San Antonio and I went to what was then the Judson Montessori school. I got a job there. Uh, it's now called the Montessori school of San Antonio. And uh I was hired, uh, no, they had, they didn't have, they didn't need anybody for the adolescent program, but they hired me to be an assistant in an elementary program uh, because they were, had greatly expanded their program. Anyway, I worked there as an assistant and eventually ended up guiding, guiding, <laughs> I just did air quotes, um, <laughs> uh, a elementary classroom for one year with no real training. Um, and, uh, and after that, I was able to get a job. We then were transferred to Austin and that's where I got the job at the, the Montessori school, uh, Austin Montessori. And that was in the adolescence. So except for those two years, um, I have been in the adolescent. Cool. Work. And um, so tell me about, did you do, it wasn't a training for adolescents through AMI when you did it, right? It was like an orientation. Mm -hmm. Tell me about yes. that experience. So uh, let's see. Shortly after they, I'm not sure exactly when they started that orientation. It might've been 2004. I know that uh, my coworker, Veronique, did the orientation in 2005. Or maybe she did it in 2004 and then Tom audited. Anyway, in 2006, I attended the orientation to adolescent studies um, and that was, uh, they, they have, you know, that was at the farm school in Hershey and also at Hiram college, which is just a little ways away. So we spent some time living on the farm and some time at Hiram college and we had lectures at both places. Um, yeah. and, and that was one summer. Wow. How long had you been working at Austin Montessori school or I guess with adolescents in general before you did the orientation? So I started working with adolescents, I believe, in 1998. Okay. And this so, was 2006, so eight years. Yeah. So That's was there anything that surprised you when you did the orientation? Or was it kind of a, a review that you knew a lot of already? Um, I, you know, you know, we did an overview of Montessori philosophy. And I had heard all of those things before. And I'd done little, you know, courses with, 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 um, people that were trained had sort of showed me, you know, one summer I spent in Houston when I was there, uh, you know, so I had heard things 
with uh, with train train people to help me out. I guess I should say. So there wasn't anything brand new, but there was there. They have a you know they developed some. You know, I, I wouldn't call it an exact model, like do it just like this, but they came up with some, you know, the idea of the three period lesson, not as uh, a small little lesson in one period, but a, a way of thinking about a, a unit of study. So a three period lesson, which consists of a bunch of small three period lessons, but there's, uh, you know, a unit of study that could be four to six weeks long, but it's one giant three period lesson. So that was a different model. And that was really developed by Laura Ewart Crocker. I mean, that was her concept. Um, and they had, you know, so then they looked at three period, they, they called them uh, occupations and humanities studies, which uh, in Montessori's writings, she referred to scientific and historic studies. Um, and these are, you know, this was their way of organizing to think about um, these three period lessons and pieces of studying things. So that was new to me. And then just, you know, uh, they were actually doing, had a boarding program. So to see how a boarding program would work to say it was really on a farm. So that was, you know, so you could see how the farm worked and what it looked like. Um, you know, I think with every training, you end up with this sort of like this idealized vision of what things are. And of course, in the classroom, it's always, you know, it's not exactly the ideal nice way. And so the one thing about going to that training, I mean, I, I left with this, this idealized vision and believed that that was, it, it took me a long time to figure that out. Mm. Like it took me a while to figure out, it's like, you have this ideal and that's great. And that's what we're all shooting for. But what it really looks like is never that gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. In your time at Austin Montessori School, how have you seen the adolescent program change? What kind of ebbs and flows has it gone through? That's such a good question. Um, so I've been, you know, this is my 21st year. Um, and the program started before uh, there was really a model. So this program is old enough. I think it's pushing 30 years. Originally, you know, Don Gertz for a couple of years did it, and then he did it with Tom Logan. And really, it was the the vision of Tom Logan for a long time uh, before the AMI orientation came around. And so it was very much a um, the ideas. Yeah, so it evolved from basically one person sort of almost like, it, I mean, I wouldn't call it an, uh, a, uh, more like the um, elementary model, but there was one guide. And... Uh, you know, seeking to integrate subject uh, areas as much as possible. So it was like one guide with their uh, really cool ideas coming up with stuff for kids to do. And there were opportunities then for them to do handwork and creative work, but also earn money here and there. But that was usually, that was what Veronique did when she came, a Veronique Marine. Um, and, uh, and it was just kind of like very organic. I guess I should say. And then as the, with the orientation model and more adults, uh, we came, it's, it's, it's more structured, I guess you could say, you know, we try to have a nice balance between the flexibility and openness and not overstructure things, but it's definitely more structured. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a schedule. Uh, there are schedules and, and, you know, to that, having that structure, you know, we believe leads to, you know, you can actually give them more freedom so if there is that the rituals and routines that the structure provides, it also leads to uh, greater 
you know, freedom within those limits for, you know, for the idea that with through freedom and responsibility, the adolescent uh, and the child, the person, the human is constructing themselves. So I guess, you know, we've seen that and we've seen an evolution in the culture of the community so that the adolescents really buy in more and more to, mm-hmm. to what we're trying to do. Um, yeah, I think, but that ebbs and flows too, because depending on who you have and who's there, but they all, and they're creating it. So while it's happening, they're creating the culture of the community. They're, they're changing it while they're there. So it's actually the community is like the material that they're working with to some extent, and they're evolving it. So when they leave and new people come in, there's a, it's different and everybody's making their contributions. Um, yeah. So it's, it's ever evolving and actually COVID has sort of undone a lot. (laughs) And so what we're finding is we're kind of starting over a little bit. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, do you find, so, you know, coming from my experience with the children's house, a lot of that work with the parents is sometimes convincing them about the benefits of Montessori and trying to get their buy-in for the students that you have in the adolescent program. In theory, they've been in a Montessori school since at least children's house or before. Do you find that you still have that work to do with families or is it, does it look different by that stage? I I mean, and I think that in answering that question, I believe that we actually have been really fortunate because we are part of Austin Montessori school that has such a great reputation and a tradition of parent education and lots of positive experiences before they get to us. And so, no, I mean, we don't really, I mean, we, we're still educating parents and we still do some handholding, I guess. Um, But for the most part, they trust us and we have a track record too, you know, so like our kids mostly go on to do quite well elsewhere. Um, And so, you know, we, I I won't say it's, it's completely that we don't have to do it at all, but uh, it's not a lot. I mean, um, we're, we're more in partnership with them as they're experiencing their adolescence, adolescence, which is mm. hard to be a parent. It's hard to be a parent of an adolescent. And so we're there is like, we're in your corner. We're helping, you know, we have ideas. We acknowledge a lot of acknowledging, you know, it's, it's difficult. Um, but, in, and it is sometimes hard to ask them to trust us The you know, the hard part actually is just to be the adults. Uh, because even though we are, you know, we've been doing this for a long time, uh, we still are educators and we still worry, you know, we care about these kids and we don't want them to go off and not have positive experiences. And we worry about them because, you know, adolescence is such an odd time that you see all different, um, you know, I will just say you worry about them. You worry about their academic abilities sometimes, you know, you worry about their, you know, their anxieties, their but of course, we also know that the people that we're working with aren't the people that they're going to be. Uh, I don't know if I'm being clear about that. I'm just saying that, you know, we worry as educators, it's like, oh, do they know how to, you know, do they know enough math? Are they, do they write well enough? Are they going to be okay when they leave and go to a more, you know, traditional place? But we also know that that's not our number one, you know, role. While we are educators, we're also really just preparing an environment for the authentic self-construction of the adolescent. Yeah. And so there is a dynamic tension there inside the adults who work there, or at least me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, what do you think that you learned about adolescence 
during your own daughter's adolescent years, since you had already worked with adolescents for so long, mm-hmm. but I'm sure it was different parenting adolescents. Yeah. I mean, I, I cr- gained so much compassion for parents uh, because it is, it's really hard. And they, um, you know, I, at least, you know, and my kids, I think had fairly reasonable adolescences, <laughs> you know, I mean, there are extremes and, and mine weren't, but they do. Uh, it's a very emotional, it's emotional for a parent to have, your, you know, I can remember when my oldest daughter, she was still in upper elementary. She was, um, you know, old on the older end of her cohort. And uh, it was, you know, halfway through her upper elementary year. I just, you know, she did a few things and it was like, oh my God, she's not a child anymore. I just saw it. And it was like, so I was so sad. <laughs> I was like, it's never going to be like that again, you know? And, and, and they kind of get a little, you know, there's a distance that comes between you, um, you know, that isn't spoken, but it's just there. It's like, you know, they're in their own world a little bit. And uh, so, I, I mean, if nothing else, I got, com- you know, I've developed compassion and it's just harder. It's harder to parent them. It's harder to, you know, uh, live with them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and so i you know it's like when the, our parents speak to us about the challenges that they're having it's like uh, yeah i've been there you know at least i have that so i can be the, right there with them um you know it's different working with other people's adolescence it's totally different they don't trigger you like your own do mm. um yeah if not i guess it's compassion Okay, talking about foreign languages again, how are foreign languages taught or supported in the adolescent program at AMS? So, you know, I saw that question and a lot of what I'm going to say was really is really work that was, uh, or at least some of it is work that was developed by Bill Sneed, who uh, was with us for many, many years. And he is now um, the director at Marin Montessori School. So I just want to give him a shout out and say, you know, I didn't really know and I saw what he did. And, uh, and I think he was spot on in a lot of ways. Um, uh, and he was coming from a traditional, he had been a traditional high school Spanish teacher among other of his experiences. Uh, and he just kind of brought that and sort of saw what we were doing and figured out a way to make it work. Um, and he used a, uh, a technique, he brought with him a technique called total physical response, storytelling, TPRS. Um, which also, I think the acronym also stands for something else, but originally it was total physical response storytelling. And it's a technique, I believe that was developed by Blaine Ray. They still offer a training. Um, And it uh, has, uh, so he, that was one of the techniques that he used. And what it does is immediately, so it puts, so first of all, grammar is not, it's not, you're not there to teach grammar. You're basically teaching communication. And so the adult is creating an environment in which that's fun. Uh, so the adult has to be a little theatrical and is telling stories and using gestures while telling the stories. So he's telling, they're, they're telling stories in Spanish and using gestures and the, the audience, the participants are attempting to decipher what's going on is essentially the idea. And they're developing vocabulary words. Uh, and, they're, and as a class, they develop specific gestures for specific vocabulary words. But it's really, um, I think it's keying in on the desire to communicate, Mm. Um, which is like, if you imagine yourself traveling to a foreign country where people are speaking a different language that you don't know, 
I mean, and you're trying to communicate with people, that's how you're going to do it. <laughs> and you're going to, and, and I mean, if I'm sure you've done this before where you've been places trying to communicate with people and it's like, you kind of figure it out. Uh, and so it's based on that. Um, it's, and it, and it's fun. And then from there, as people are wanting to communicate more and more and learning to write, they're wanting to know a little grammar, you can start putting grammar lessons in and things like that. And really it's also, it's about developing comfort uh, in with a, with a different language and how to put yourself. Cause a lot of times, uh, especially adolescents who, uh, you know, tend towards uh, strong emotions and sometimes anxiety, you know, traditional Spanish, the way, or language class can sometimes be like overwhelming to them and that can really shut them down. And what we know about, you know, everybody, but especially adolescents is once the anxiety is there, there's no learning happening. And so it's really, it's, it's gotta be warm. Um, the other thing is, is there's lots of opportunity for self-expression. So one of the, you know, key um, ways in with adolescence is uh, giving, feeding their need to express themselves in different ways. So there's lots of artistic options for them. Uh, for a long time, uh, Bill worked with them. They would, once they were writing their own stories, they would then create movies or skits and act them out. There's And part of the TPRS is people getting up and pantomiming the story while it's going on. That, right, they love that. That's really fun for them. And then they would make their own movies. For a while there, they were making pretty amazing movies by the time they were, you know, ninth grade. They were making these like really long movies. Um, and, and he also brought in, they would do for their final, like, I guess you could call it the third period of their experience would be that they would create an immersion uh, it was called the immersion project. And each year, the group of full cycle, the ninth grade, whatever you call them, uh, they would um, for half a day, turn the entire environment into something where only Spanish is spoken and they would create scenarios and everybody else was like a player playing in this. It's really cool. Um, and it just seemed to feed right into the types of things that they were interested in. Wow, that sounds so cool. What an inventive way to make language come alive for them. Wow, that's really special. Um, so is it only Spanish that's taught? Do children ever do or adolescents ever do um, self-study of another language? We had one student this last year who already had been to Italy and was interested in Italian, and she did a self-study of Italian, um, and she just worked through a book. Uh, we, uh, you know, the one thing that worked really well having Bill there was that he was a full-time staff member who was also a Spanish specialist. And that would be ideal is that there would be whatever foreign language you're teaching, you would have people as part of the team who also speak and can teach that language. Uh, since, he, uh, you know, even while he was there, we were moving away from that and we have a specialist and I think that's harder. Uh, we do have a new specialist this year, and she speaks a number of languages and can teach a number of languages. So we'll see how that goes. Speaking of Italian, tell me about how the Italy trip came about and what that has been like throughout the years. So uh, that trip um, was uh, the brainchild, I believe, of Don Gertz. I don't know if any other school had been doing that. So Don... Um, was married to Donna Bryant Gertz, the founder of Austin Montessori School. And he, for a long time, was the um, executive director of the school. And he also was uh, had been a classics professor. So he's a classicist. Um, and I think he had worked in the upper elementary for several years. And he founded 
the adolescent program. And I think his idea was that it would be a classical studies program. <clears throat> but anyway, the um, as he he had left uh, working at uh, the middle school, the Gain Gaines Creek, the adolescent community, but had this idea. We were, uh, and I think we were thinking, how can we keep have our full cycles? People want to stay for the full cycle year, and so this idea of a capstone trip to Rome, uh, and it and so that's where it came from. And uh, I mean, I think he has a couple of articles written about it <laughs> and sort of why we do it. Uh, you know, and for him, it was very much a study of, you know, the origins of Western civilization from, from uh, Rome. And when the trip first started, he would invite those full cycle students, they would go to his house, he would give them, he would do seminars with them, and they'd visit for a while, he had tours of Austin that he would do to look for, you know, Roman influences in architecture and things like that. Um, and he did that trip for many years. I, I assisted him a few times on that trip. So the other adults that go along are essentially chaperones. So they're there, you know, to help out and really to, you know, make sure that the kids are all right to help, you know, be there with them. So I did that a couple of times with Don. Um, and then slowly Tom took that trip uh, and did it. And Tom did it sort of differently every year. And he wanted to keep some of the themes that Don used but he also tom was interested is it uh, uh, interested in a lot of things and so he was interested in you know renaissance and he's interested in architecture he's interested in art and so while they would still continue to look at some of the roman ancient roman sites they would also uh, look at a lot of architecture and art while they were there as well and so it's evolved but it, i mean he sort of has done it differently every time sometimes he would have people specialize in a topic sometimes he would have them specialize so the students would specialize in in something and then present on the trip at some point or another. Um, and so he's, you know, sometimes you'd have the architecture team and the art team and the whatever. Um, and then sometimes they will plan one, some parts of the trip themselves. So it's gone a lot of different ways. And I'm very still eager to see, and hopefully you'll be a part of the future of so. that trip. Yeah. Um, what kind of, maybe this is, a bit over the top as a question, but what kind of transformations do you see the students going through during or after the trip? Uh, well, I do believe, you know, I mean, I saw the, okay, I have a bunch of answers to that question. Um, <laughs> so first of all, adolescents are going through huge transformations, no matter what. And some of the transformation that you see is also just a result of uh you know, them being sort of at the end of the first subplane of the, uh, of the third plane. Um, I'm assuming the audience is familiar with Montessori terminology. You can give a little overview of the third plane and the, what right. you mean by subplanes. All right. So the third plane of um, the third plane, uh, adolescence is the third plane and it's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's from uh 12 to 18. And our school just deals with the 12 to 15 year old, which would be like the first half of that plane. Um, and there really is a huge transformation that happens just between, uh, you know, from 12 to 15 is a, is a big, a lot of big changes. I mean, they grow like a foot and uh, they, they really change from being fairly concrete in their thinking to first becoming, you know, to becoming quite abstract in their thinking. I mean, they, they can obviously abstract as elementary students, but it's a big change. And, you know, we 
we refer to the concept of metacognition. So they become much more metacognitive in their third year often. Uh, and so they can really think about themselves as thinkers and they can think about other people as thinkers where really they can't when they're, when they first come, that's a huge change. And that change you can, you know, you can see it now taking them and leaving the continent and going far away from home, uh, you know, and, and having them have to think about everything they're doing and try to be really independent um, for many of them is a huge transformation as well. So I do think that they develop an incredible sense of independence uh, that for many of them, they didn't have before. Like I can go far away from my family and live and, you know, more or less take care of myself. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a, yeah, I think it's a big, that's like really why we do the trip. Yeah. Yeah. That's so incredible um, for them to have that experience at such a young age. I'm sure that they yeah. feel like they're basically grown up, but for them to have that experience as 14, 15 year olds. What I usually notice, uh, which is kind, is kind of the opposite, is that, you know, they in our community, they seem so, you know, mature and put together and competent. And then we go far away and they look really young. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, but there's they're they're moving, you know, they are moving in the right direction and they really are developing what I'm talking about. But it's like I really see them, it's like when you put them out there like on a yeah, it's it's uh, it's striking actually to me. What vision do you have for the adolescent program or what direction do you see it going or would you love to see it going in the future if you have any imagined changes or reiterations of it? So, um, you know, the, 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 the vision Montessori had for especially the first subplane, so the 12 to 15 year old, is that they would live, she called it Erdkinder, and her idea was that they would live on a farm, uh, rural farm, and it would be a boarding situation where they worked on the farm and they studied what they they worked on. And then they, um, and they, you know, grew things and made things and sold them. So there was an economic, and they earned money that they could use. Now, our program does have a little farm and they do, uh, grow things and make things and sell them and make decisions with the money that they have. And some of that money goes to them as they go to Rome. But the one thing that it's really missing is the boarding aspect. And when we have, so we do a series, we do take camping trips, week-long camping trips, and that is sort of living communally. And we, and we do a lot of things communally. So they cook for each other and things like that. But when they go away, away from the family and they spend time away and they spend time together, we really do see uh, a greater transformation in them. And a, there are more opportunities for what Montessori referred to as valorization of the personality, which is really what we're shooting for at adolescence and what all the work that's been going on up until adolescence has been leading to, which is this idea that they are developing a sense of self-worth through the work that they do as contributors to something greater than themselves, their community. And it's not like you say, oh, you guys are awesome. You did all this great work and now they're valorized. It's really something that happens 
within themselves. It's part of their self-construction. And, and when that happens in them, you know, the idea is that this valorized human um, is going to take, lead us into a peaceful society. Um, and so I really do believe from the little bits that I've seen and experienced that the way to get to the next higher level is through aborting more opportunities for boarding. And I would love for us to have a farm, you know, somewhere outside of Austin where students could live at least some of the time together um, <clears throat> in a boarding situation and take care of live as community. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That would be really special. Does the school uh, in Ohio, they have a boarding program, right? They do. And there are other, you know, schools all around the world with that. What advice do you have for parents when navigating the adolescent years? And maybe especially for parents who are interested in, um, you know, raising their children from a Montessori perspective, but who might not have access to Montessori resources for adolescents in their community. Well, um, you know, Montessori is is a is a, pedag- a developmental scientific developmental pedagogy. So it's about teaching people uh, based on you know their personality at certain different phases in their in their lives. Uh, and so, first of all, understanding adolescence is really important. Um, so, uh, you know, and so you were saying what advice? So I would say first of all, take a deep breath. <laughs> Uh, second of all, I would say, you know, I mean, one of the things that we do is we honor and respect what's happening. So if we know who we're working with, we can honor and respect. And I think that happens at all levels, just like, and so even though adolescents can look, you know, sometimes uh, adolescence gets a bad rap. Um, it's actually really important what's going on and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, you know, we can offer that we can honor and respect what's happening. We also do need to be firm. Uh, they still need boundaries, uh, lovingly held, and with uh, sometimes a lot of discussion as to why they're there. Uh, and they need to be part of helping, you know, decide exactly where the line is so that they feel, but um, but they need them. So, some, you know, sometimes parents are like, oh, they're practically grown up. They can do what they want. And that's not true. And other times parents are like, no, absolutely not. Never, you know, because I said so. And that also doesn't work. So, um uh, the other thing is, is providing them. So if you're working with adolescents at home or in some other environment, I mean, essentially what they want to do, especially is real work. So opportunities for real and meaningful work that contributes. Uh, they also like getting paid. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, yeah. So, I mean, that would be my advice is helping them find that. I mean, I had Montessori experiences on a, as an adolescent uh, and I didn't go to Montessori school, but I definitely like, I mean, I can remember going to summer camp and with the older kids, they had us build things and do stuff to help improve the camp. That was part of what they did. And I don't think they, I don't know if they knew that what they were doing was, you know, serving us, but I mean, it was awesome. I loved it. And then they would like take us out to get like, you know, sodas or whatever. Afterwards. <laughs> it's like payment, you know, they give five bucks at the store, you can get what you want. We just thought it was great. And so we were doing hard physical labor and then getting paid for it. And it was awesome. Yeah. One thing I forgot to ask you before when we were talking about your own daughter's adolescent years was um, what was it like for you having them as students in the adolescent community? Uh, 
so it was weird. Um, you know, the, I was also fortunate that the school, you know, we were fairly large. So, you know, between 40 and 50 uh, kids. So they weren't, it wasn't, uh, there were, and there were other adults. So they didn't have to necessarily work directly with me all the time. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. So one of my children, my older daughter was, seemed to be okay with being in classes with me and, get, and getting lessons, you know, and my younger one was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, I don't even want you talking with the teacher voice with me at home. But it was fine. And, you know, they called me Jesse, which is as our, as you know, all the students do. And it wasn't too bad. I was really, you know, it was a hard time in our lives at that point. And I was really happy to have them at our school. And I was really appreciative of the other adults that were there. So they were in a loving, nurturing environment. And that felt really good to me. And I don't think they hated it. Yeah. I mean, I think they were ready to leave. <laughs> I don't think they hated it while they were there. Okay. So my last question for you is what advice do you have for parents of adolescents when partnering with their child's school and teachers? Um, I mean, I don't know, you know, stay in communication, you know, for what we tell our parents is please, you know, if you have any concerns, it's always helpful for us to know. So please be in communication with us. It, you know, one thing adolescents do is if you're worried, they know, uh, you know, they, they can, they are keen, keen observers. And, uh, you know, especially if adults, you know, adolescents are looking at every adult that is around them and absorbing what it means to be an adult. And they can, they're just very sensitive. And so they'll know if you're worried. And so what we want is a partnership of parents. Like we want to know what's going on. More information is always better than no information. Um, so that's one, uh, you know, if you're feeling uncomfortable, yeah. I mean, sometimes as I think it happens at every plane, but as you know, the kids, students get older, uh, parents will, sometimes will worry more and more about what comes next. Um, and if, you know, if you're not comfortable with what's, you know, you, you're eager to have that. I just think parents need to, you know, sometimes parents need to make the right decision for them uh, instead of, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that we are the perfect environment for adolescents, for all adolescents, but not, maybe not always for their parents. Mm, that's what we sometimes say at the children's house <laughs> level as well. <laughs> um, I said that was my last question, but I have another question for you. Sure. Um, something that I hear a lot is a concern about when a child is transferring out of a Montessori environment at any level, but what um, what do you share with parents or what advice would you give to parents for a child transitioning out of an adolescent program at 15 and transitioning into more traditional school? Um, you know, it kind of depends on the individual, but we will uh, almost always, they, they uh, you know, they will struggle with, um, eight classes, you know, having eight different classes with eight different teachers these days, every there's, you know, uh, a good portion of their management of their coursework has to do with the computer and is online. I mean, we do a little bit of that, but it's nothing like, 
it's and as much as we talk about grades and we'll show them like here's how grades work and you know we can let's play grades for a while you know and we'll keep track of all the work and show them as they get older to help them understand it's nothing you know looking at a syllabus figuring out wh what the teachers want realizing that you have to turn everything in on time you know figuring out um, how their game how each teacher's you know i call it a game game is played you know sometimes they struggle with that and there's about a six week you know for, for people transition period where you know if you're if you're a parent and you're looking at the numbers on the computer you might you know be concerned um and so we will depending on the student we'll definitely ask them like to meet with them and talk about that and like how I want to work with you during this period of time. I'm not just going to like you figure it out. Uh, so during this transition period, we're going to work closely together and establish some sort of system for how that's going to work for your family. So that is like the number one thing is like, I want to help you do this. Um, I need to, I need to be involved with this part of it. And that as quickly as possible, I'll kind of get out of the way. I'd like to, but I also, you know, I'm here if you need me. So we will encourage them to do that because there is a transition. Almost always they do just fine. Most, the schools that talk, that we've talked to tell us how much they enjoy our students uh, are, because they're not afraid to make mistakes. That's like, they're they're not afraid to go up, like if they're in a math class, to go up to the board and try to figure things out and take a stab. Whereas a lot of kids in traditional school, have, that's been beaten out of them. Mm -hmm. uh, a fear of failure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um... I have another question for you. I keep thinking of more questions. So you talked about the Erdkinder model for the first subplane of adolescence. What would uh, an adolescent program for the second subplane look like, or what does it look like in other places? So of course, all of this is experimental. Uh, Maria Montessori did not design any program uh, for adolescents. So people have been working with the writings and and uh, trying to develop these ideas. So there are all different kinds. There are farm-based uh, 12 to 18 programs. The Hershey Montessori has one. Um, and then there are, there's another a model that was developed by uh, the North American Montessori Teachers Association, NAMTA, which is where they sort of center it uh, in a city, sort of like in the center of a city. The, the one that they uh, had was at University Circle. Uh, in Cleveland. So it's near a bunch of, near a university, near museums, near, you know, uh, science, you know, research going on so that the students would be living close by and hopefully, hopefully having opportunities to intern with uh, and work in these different places as they get older. So that's another model. Um, <clears throat> Post Oak Montessori in Houston, the one that was a originally went to they have a model like that for their high school so they're right there in the museum district in houston um so that's what it looks like it um they definitely you know the first subplane um there is a it's harder for them to for adolescents to uh study and it's harder for them to see a purpose you know to study just for the sake of study um and so uh, integrated studies with their work and, you know, having a real reason to do it. Whereas formal study again, comes back into play and is much more uh, palatable and interesting for the older adolescent. Mm, that's really interesting. Do you think that is something you would ever try to spearhead in Austin or 
maybe with the boarding aspect of the first subplane be more of a priority? Yes, that's the boarding. I'm, and I, I think I personally um, have a, you know, I'm more connected to and more interested in that younger adolescent and in their development. Uh, maybe because, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons. They're, they're just so precious. Mm. Um, it's like, you know, think about, a, I mean, really the metaphor of the caterpillar and the pupa and all of that. And it's like so tender and with all of the possibilities. And I'm not saying the older adolescent isn't also awesome. I think um, they are, but I, that's who I am. I'm really interested in that. So I do want Austin Montessori School to have the full, it, it's beneficial to us if they, uh, and to them, <laughs> And their families, if we had a full, you know, 12 to 18 program, mm, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to get that off the ground. Yeah, I'm sure. Then does it have to meet like IB standards or state standards in order for them to, or at least college or, yeah, I mean, I guess you, you still have to, we, you have to continue with your accreditation and then you have to, yeah. So colleges have to be able to accept your credit. And then also, I don't actually don't even know all of the, and then, you know, just getting them into, you know, people don't want to send their children to a high school where then they don't get to go to college. Sure. <laughs> so, so there is like college counseling and helping families and all that. That's a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, well, you want to provide a rich enough experience too. So uh, you want to make sure that it's a very rich experience for them. Yeah. Well, Austin seems like a city that's very well situated to do both the farm aspect of the first subplane and then the city aspect of the second subplane. I agree. Yeah, I'm sure there are many parents who are clamoring for that. So I'll I'll pay attention and see maybe someday, maybe if you get it off the ground in a few years, I'll have you uh, back on the podcast to talk okay. about it. <laughs> sure. Um, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was so thank fun. Thank you. It was fun. I, I, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you again to Jesse for joining me for this conversation. You can follow Multilingual Montessori on Instagram at multilingual.montessori, and you can find more resources for raising bilingual and multilingual children from a Montessori perspective at multilingualmontessori.org. Please subscribe to the Multilingual Montessori podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you enjoyed this episode, you can leave a five-star rating and review on whatever app you're listening through. It helps more people find the show. If you'd like to join the Patreon community to help keep the podcast running, you'll find the link to that in the episode description. Another wonderful way to support the podcast is to share it with someone who you think would enjoy it as well. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.